The Remedial History Project is a nonprofit working to get women's history into the primary and secondary history curriculum. To help us meet our goal, we produce media, lesson plans, and so much more. You can check it out on our website, www.remedialherstory.com. Our project is funded through grants and by patrons, potentially like you. Thank you to our patrons, Jeff, Barbara, Christian, Kent, Jamie, Jenna, Nancy, Megan, Leah, Mark, Nicole, Anne, Sarah, Alicia, Katia, Michelle, Jessica, Laura, and Jackie. If you would like to join these wonderful people and become a patron, you can head over to patreon.com and become a supporter of the Remedial Herstory Project. You too can help us reform education and allow women to be seen, heard, and complicated. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? Today, we are going to be talking about a very important topic to close our second theme on social reform. We're going to be talking about the women's organization. Well, I guess it wasn't exclusive, but Mm. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Ooh, mad. Mad. All right. Let's get mad. Let's get mad. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. In this episode, we are going to be talking about the effectiveness of Mothers Against Drunk Driving and asking how effective was this organization. Mm. I think it's a really appropriate topic for us because we started this theme by talking about women in the temperance movement, which was working to curb alcohol consumption. And Mothers Against Drunk Driving is kind of like the modern day version of trying to treat and deal with this like social serious social issue of drunken behavior yeah and Um, alcohol abuse and alcohol abuse yeah interesting so um and actually the founder of mothers against drunk driving called it the modern day prohibition movement at one point which we'll (laughs) talk who's connecting dots yeah she did it for us which is kind of cool okay um so what do, what do you know about Mothers Against Drunk Driving? A little bit. Um, we had some really cool projects in my high school that um, worked with MAD. Actually, we had in my high school, we had what's called senior projects. And every senior, all four years of their high school career, worked toward their senior project. Mm-hmm. It involves a lot of different you know things, but it's your kind of capstone project. And you have to do volunteerism and you pick a topic, a nonprofit or something that's, you know, related. And uh, we had a, a couple students every year always pick drunk driving. Mm. It's a big topic. There's a lot to encompass it. There's a lot of different places to take it. But especially around prom in high school, it's always a big time yeah. to talk about seriously safe driving, you know, not abusing substances, all those kind of things. And they did what's called like a mock accident. Mm-hmm. And it's where they take a car that it has been in an accident and they place students in it as actors and um, they enact a drunk driving scene mm. and students watch yeah. and they watch the whole scene happen. They see the EMTs come, the ambulance, and then you're brought into the auditorium and they show you what is the aftermath from that accident. So yeah. the funerals, the impact of the families, who survived, who didn't. These are your real friends in yeah. high school. So it was very impactful really impressive the scale of the project but 
they worked directly with Mad to put that on, and yeah, it was really impressive to show. And I think for teenagers about to embark on some of these big moments in your senior year, like prom, senior night, all these other things that you're doing, um, very much made you hyper aware of like the impact of yeah, your decisions. Make good choices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's still like such a serious issue despite Mad being around for decades at this Not point. Not surprising. And um, as of 2020, 28 people die in a car crash that in- involves a driver who's under the influence um, of alcohol um, every single day in the United States. 28 wow. people die. And that was, sorry, what year was that study? This was as of 2020, last year. So It's so surprising you would think during the pandemic where students are not driving as often yeah. that it would have decreased. But yeah. Um, that's really sad. Yeah, it's like a death every hour, every day. I remember seeing that fact during, um, driver's ed. You're like, I'm sorry, what? And I'm like texting and driving is becoming as, as like, as big of a pandemic. Distracted driving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but impaired driving with alcohol. That's surprising that it's still as high as it is. It surprises me a lot. I, I went to a dry campus in college and I lived on a dry campus. So, just like wasn't really a factor in my college experience oh. and which is like very different for other people. So for it's very me, different from my own experience. <laughs> absolutely. I'm like dry campus. That's cute. What does that mean? Yeah. And so it just like wasn't a part of it. And as an adult, it was just shocking to me. You know, people would be like, you know, just like so casual about having alcohol near vehicles. <laughs> and I, I it, it has shocked me a little bit. And I think that's just my naivete. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit, but it's also, um, I think there's just, you know, cultural norms. It's also a lot of alcohol use comes mm. from what you've seen growing up. So family dynamics and yeah. all those factors come into it. And then cultural norms within the crowds of friends you hang out with. And then, you know, you choose a dry college or not, that's going to impact your observations (laughs) and your sample size of alcohol use. Yeah. Um, I think we live in a state that is actually alarmingly high, um, with, with alcohol challenges, um, for teens and adults, which is really, and in particular binge drinking, which is like the worst of all of it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, some people make some quips that, you know, we live in New Hampshire and it's, what else are you going to do? But I think there's so much more that goes into that factor. So, yeah. So, tell me more about MAD, though. Like, yeah. how do they well, originate? What, what are they up to? So, it's Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And it really starts with this one woman, Candy Leitner. Um, she is um, – she has three kids. One of uh, – two twin daughters, um, Kari and Serena, and a son, Travis. And in 1980, her daughter, Kari, who has a twin – was walking to a church event in Mm. California and the car sort of like this car coming down the road sort of swerved out of control hit her and kept going and he kills her daughter she was um like not even in middle school or barely in middle school and um she found out later, not only was this person under the, when they finally caught him, mm-hmm. um, not only was he under the influence of alcohol, but he had also had previous yeah. arrests Jeez. from driving drunk. And the consequences for this type of behavior was like basically a slap on the wrist. Yeah. And 
she went, you know, she called it, I think called a spade a spade and was like, this is the only form of legal murder that we allow where it's like, you know, you can just like hit a person with a car, but because you were drunk, it's, that's like the ultimate excuse. And, um, and so mad had all sorts of different objectives when they form. Um, and part of it is to like up the consequence, right? Right. I mean, you and I probably know people who were caught driving under the influence. Oh, sure. And they had their license removed. Yep. They had, um, you know, they might have been forced to get one of those uh, things that you install in your car that you can't Yeah, there's any number of combinations. I think when we think of maybe even our parents' generation drinking and driving and the perception of what was cool then or what was it allowed – and then with our generation, very different. You yeah. know, the laws have become much more intense, you know, and they have become much more impacting, not only taking your license away, but jail time and yeah. fines and career mobility. I mean, ultimately, this follows you forever. Yeah. A DUI, driving under the influence, you know, making decisions under the influence. So it sounds like they've made some significant strides since they started. Yeah. Well, and pretty much every one of the things that you just listed is due to MAD. It's impressive. The most recent law I was aware of is that majority states are starting to vote to bring back previous offenses so that they can use those in current cases mm-hmm. to determine repeat offenders. Mm-hmm. So those who are chronic abusers of like the guy who killed her daughter right exactly so i'm more and more states are passing those laws massachusetts did that in the last few years and i know more states are are looking at how do we because before you could close a case and if a certain period of time had gone by they couldn't pull it back up into court and now those laws are passing to bring these back up more and more because if someone's showing a chronic um repetitive cycle and a habit then they shouldn't have their license or at least have access to motor vehicles. Yeah. So one thing that really strikes me about um, Candy Leitner is just that she is such a tireless advocate. Obviously, she lost her daughter. I think mm. any, I think that story can really resonate with a lot of people. I was drawing sort of like a parallel in my mind between some of the m- mothers and fathers of victims of school shooting who have become, you know, tireless advocates for gun regulations, for common sense, mental health supports in schools, you know, just like so many different things. Yeah. And I I mean, think about even like children who've been kidnapped. So many, you know, it changes people's trajectory of their life to start to enact and work for a lot of nonprofits because of their own personal trauma. Yeah. So she is a tireless advocate for this, really at at the beginning, it's just sort of this small grassroots group of moms Mm. who all have lost people, right? And and she's sort of their their leader. She goes to the governor's office on a daily basis in California. His name was Jerry Brown at the time. Um, He gets him, she basically pesters him like crazy until he launches a state commission on drunk driving to research and investigate it. Um, to figure out, you know, and the other piece with any social issue like this is sometimes it's not, you know, you want to find solutions to a problem that are actually going to curb the issue, right? Are going to be 
successful. Mm -hmm. Um, She lectures and lobbies not only in California, but across the country. And eventually in uh, 1984, and so the year here strikes me because it's only a few years after her daughter dies. By 1984, um, she has caught the attention of Ronald Reagan, who's the president at the time, and he appoints her to the National Commission on Drunk Driving. So he creates this commission, and she's the first person appointed to it. I guess I'm not as surprised because of all of the foundations that Reagan was a part of when it came to drugs and alcohol and substance abuse. He, yeah, the war on drugs. And exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, I just feel like this alley. very much aligns. He was like, who's got alcohol? Mad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's bring them to the table and, like, give them the mic, you yeah. know? I think that makes a lot of sense in alignment to administration at the time and in the time of our country when those were some of the most significant challenges that the yeah. U.S. was facing in addition to drug use and, and several other factors that were coming into play. So that makes sense. Um, one of the biggest things that they accomplished during this period is they raised the legal drinking age from 18 to 21. Um, and so, like, that's a huge, you know, federal sweep, uh, like, to shift I wonder, this. does it say at all how they came up with 21? I'm so curious. Um, that's a really great question. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why. I know that there's, you know, there's a lot of data that shows just, you know, young, the younger yeah. people are, the more they abuse these sorts of things. And so having, you know, poten- potential things to limit or, you know, the amount of alcohol that they can get their Yeah. I think on. we all have parents that are like, you know, back in my day, I was 18 and I'll drive here. Or there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we get it. You had access <laughs> yeah, to things. Still like that in <laughs> Canada. So, you know, yeah. growing up in New Hampshire, folks would just like go up to Montreal for the weekend and make sense, you know, be whatever. But, um, there's also, you know, the voting age used to be 21. So I wonder if that was just like a number that hmm. resonated with a lot of people. Um, it dropped during the Vietnam era right, because of, they need more people. Well, because it was hypocritical to make to draft men to fight and then not let them vote for the person sending them to war. Was that hypocritical? That was so hypocritical. Weird. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. Hmm. it was, in fact. Interesting. I'll be an advocate for men for a minute. Um, <laughs> Allow it. <laughs> okay. Um, and so anyway, her daughter, um, Serena, who is the who is the twin sister of the girl who died, mm. she actually went on to form Students Against Drunk Driving, which Get is it, also kind of cool. So these, you know, mother-daughter duo here. Dynamic Mads. Yeah. <laughs> taking over. Hey, Kelsey, I don't think our listeners know about the new upcoming project that we're working on. Which one? The video series. Oh, the video series. That's awesome. (laughs) I know. So I thought we could tell them a little bit about what the project is, how it's funded, and what the purpose is. Well, we are producing a video series, 25 episodes on U.S. history, 25 episodes on world history. And the point of these is to provide teachers who don't know women's history with like a 10 minute video that they could play for their class. So say you're teaching a lesson on the American Revolution. Here's 10 minutes about women in that time period. And it could be a foundation that you can springboard from and do something really cool on those women. And these videos are, yes, you, but they are fully scripted. You can look at the scripts they were nicely edited with some really great content yep they're vetted by historians two phds at least um in history 
So, you know, people smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to be free and, and they're, they're on YouTube. And they'll be on YouTube. They also have a comedian from Hollywood yes. who is helping to make them funny. So it's, you know, because I'm like kind of boring. Uh, no, very <laughs> funny. <laughs> but that's awesome. So they're really engaging and they're really cool content. So more to come there. So we yeah. have those coming out. And those are funded through grants? Through grants. Through our patrons. Okay. Um, so their, you know, contributions to us through Patreon are supporting that project. And then we also have a lot of people that have been donating through Instagram, Facebook. We have a Venmo account. You can find us there. That's awesome. Um, and they're making those contributions. So, yeah, it's an amazing thing. And if this is something that you're like, yes, that's what teachers need, um, any every penny helps because it is a really expensive project. So. It, yeah, totally. And we had a match donor for a while there, too, yeah. which is really cool. So definitely if you're interested in those, yeah, feel free to donate. You can donate right on our website, Instagram, and Venmo. Yeah. Which is awesome. Great work. I'm excited to see the rest of those videos. Oh, Brooke, thanks for your support of the project. Awesome. One of the things that I really appreciate about MAD is just the like multi-prong approach. Mm. So they have this drinking age approach, which is sort of like sweeping federal, you know, perspectives. That's huge. Um, They also look at sort of the social cultural perceptions of drunk driving and language is everything in in that, in, Mm. in perception. So they push people to start using the phrase crash instead of accident. Because right, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. You are impaired behind a wheel, you know. Mm. So, so I think that's kind of a big, a big shift that occurs um, on like a social level, um, and it it pushes people to understand that this is a this is criminal or it's negligent criminal activity, right? right? Um, even when you don't intend to do something, if it's not like premeditated, you, like, you well, still like the minute you get in your car, it's premeditated. Yeah, you know? it's 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 you are unnecessarily putting the people around you at, at risk. risk, right? So, um, it's interesting that they started doing that same prong approach. As, you know, I think more recently, um, instead of calling someone a rape victim, mm. you know, it's like they're really trying to put the the blame on the accurate party of the rapist. Yeah. Um, and it's not consensual sex and non-consensual sex. It's consensual sex and rape. And yeah. so there's like a lot of this like clarifying terminology that's coming out about similar. And I think it's a very similar approach of like, let's really call a spade a spade and start making the right decisions because these aren't accidental this yeah. isn't unintentional this is intentional and it is preventable right right um in 1986 great year oh great year i know a lot of people that were born that year that are just kick-ass <laughs> <laughs> um they publicly coined the term designated driver this is a period before hashtags oh. but i feel like it would would have been a hashtag. that would have been trending yeah um, and that's such an interesting thing to think that like at some point that had to be coined. I know that like is very funny to me in my mind. Like, oh, that word didn't exist until then. Yeah. Designated. Um, like, like what, what were this, the other ideas that they threw around? It's not curious. <laughs> like, I don't know. But it, I think that's really important. And, and I think it's part of 
the vocabulary that you and I grew up with, right? Mm, like, yeah. like people, like there is a person who everybody knows and everybody agrees upon as being the person who's going to get everyone home safely from yeah. X event. And I really like that idea because it, this is, you know, we talk, we introduce this topic as like the neo temperance movement, but, mm. but it's not in that they're not saying, they're not trying to ban alcohol. They're trying right. to say like, yeah, cons- you can consume alcohol safely and responsibly and yeah you know, so in in comparison to the temperance movie they didn't go like all alcohol is bad right it's the decisions you make under the influence that are bad right make better decisions right and also like know that when you're under the influence of alcohol you're gonna make dumb decisions and it's gonna seem really logical <laughs> at the time not- <laughs> i've I would counterpoint that there's some great innovative ideas I've had while having a cocktail or two, but I'll lean in here and understand that that's probably not accurate. <laughs> um, well, creative and safe are very different. I'll, I'll allow it. Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> In 1988, all 50 states, including the District of Columbia, so the whole nation upholds the new minimum drinking age. Mm -hmm. So obviously that was challenged. And it is, I mean, young people, 18-year-olds in particular, will be the first to point out to you how weird it is that they can vote, Vote but they can't drink. drink. You know, that you can fight in the military and not have a drink, you know. I mean, arguments could be made that they should be 21 going off to war or voting, but I'm with you. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's hypocrisy, but it's not, um, or just kind of like weird, but it's not um, problematic. I mean, we can get into how successful this was in actually curbing drunk. This, some of these initiatives were in curbing drunk driving. Uh, 1996, so skipping ahead a bunch, they actually start to work to address that um, the, to prevent underage drinking, um, to sort of talk about those issues underage mm. drinking is such a complicated issue right um because it is it is tricky you know in, in places where student people can drink at a younger age they mm. do have sort of like parents can supervise right um parents can like teach those habits to oh, children in theory in, right in theory in you know in all theories of parents educating their children in anything that they're going to get into, you know, you can set boundaries and guide. But when it comes to the law, I mean, someone could own your home if you allow drinking in it. If right. You're a parent. Today, today. I'm talking about places where it's legal, you right. know, like like Europe or something like that where kids are drinking oh, sure. at a much younger age. And so what's what's tricky is that you know, but we, I mean, we're just a different culture. We, we drive cars more, right? Like we don't have, we don't have public public, transportation. We don't have public transportation. We don't have all these things, you know? Um, so, so it's kind of, it's a, it's a tricky topic. And I do think, you know, part of the reason we see such serious issues on college campuses with binge drinking and, and, you know, this is the party campus, which is like right down the road from us right now. Um, that comes from, not having that sort of thing because you don't you don't we don't see that same sort of parallel in other cultures right there aren't like they Mm -hmm. might they might have rowdy times in college but it's not american rowdy yeah Um, it definitely is very much like a um rumspringa moment mm -hmm. when like someone goes off to college it's Mm -hmm. like 
here's all the risky things you can possibly do in your entire life. Go do them all now. Right. And try and get an education. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So like I think a lot of parents are sitting there as they send their kids off to college and they're like, there's so much more than just sending your kid off to college because of all this risk and alcohol is a big piece of that puzzle. So MAD still exists today and has a bunch of different initiatives. Um, But the founder, the woman behind the movement, uh, Candy Leitner, she um, is sort of forced out of her position. And this can, as, you know, sort of running the organization by the board. And um, this is a controversial issue that I think could make a really cool investigation in a history class. Um, One, you know, simply you could ask, why was she forced out? Um, there were allegations and it would be interesting to pursue the credibility of those allegations that she was like mismanaging funds within the organization. That's too bad. Um, so she sort of pushed out for those reasons. Um, but she also makes a couple of different public statements about leaving that I think are interesting. Okay. On the one hand, she talks about how mad the organization aptly named mad um which she had led is not necessarily helping her heal she's starting to fix the problem yeah but it just makes her angry as she looks at the statistics and and all the different things that are behind you know all the different issues that are behind what happened to her family and she had to in order to do this job, had to live with her daughter's death every single yeah. day, you know? I mean, trying to lead an initiative so close to your own trauma and lead that initiative, it would be really hard, I think, for anyone. It's, you know, it's, you lean in and start to support nonprofits that have a close tie to your heart, but you forget to think about how that might impact you over time to be with other victims yeah, going through very similar circumstances and what that will do to your own experience. Um, and sometimes I think people forget in those moments of action and anger of to take care of themselves and find wellness in those, t- those moments too. Yeah. So I think that's sort of an interesting piece of you know, maybe it was just time for her to move on to. I mean, that was in a addition long to the run financial stuff. Leading an organization that did some significant work in the time that it that it has been running, and now will continue. You know, in the helm of someone else. Yeah. Um, she also talked a little bit about. She made a comment about the MAD being the neo-temperance movement. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm not stealing that idea from just out of nowhere. (laughs) What I think is interesting about that is she said that when we founded, our goal was not to stop alcohol consumption. It was to stop drunk driving. It was to save lives. And the the people that were sort of leading the organization in the early 2000s had sort of drifted into like – anti-alcoholism and like anti-alcohol <laughs> you know you know yeah I can imagine that being really alienating and not getting into the ears of those that can really make an impact if you start to lean in on like no drinking yeah <laughs> it's like you're dipping into a pool you don't want to yeah. swim in and you know me like I'm a I'm an eternal moderate so I'm like I, I'm like same. trying to find those the, that what is what is realistic I mean we've tried prohibition and it, you know we had speakeasies I mean had all go the go nuts like try prohibition again if you feel so so optimistic about it but it would be a very different 
organization to do it and an America today versus America when the temperance movement mm-hmm. came out mm-hmm. is a few, what, million people less? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, hmm, maybe, maybe you don't want to attack the crowds yeah. of people that are well, a little I mean, stressed out. Well, I mean, you look out. at like, like, you know, prohibitions on marijuana and like marijuana smoking hasn't stopped, you know? So it's sort of yeah, like, it's like, it's, it's all like, what do you want to put parameters around and how much do you want to police yeah. things that are already happening? Versus but, like work to just make them safe. Right. You know? Give them guidelines and help to bring awareness to challenges, even though those things are happening. Yeah. Cause people are going to do it regardless. Yeah. So anyway, I just think she's a fascinating woman and, um, you know, to, to turn your grief into a social service, a social cause, and mm. to make change for th- hundreds of thousands of people whose lives have been, um, you know, they don't they don't know this, but like that they have been protected because she did these things and got these laws passed. Um, there's something you know they they estimate that um, since its founding in 1980. MAD has helped more than 850,000 victims and saved around 350,000 lives. Um, there are several hundred local MAD chapters spread across the United States and Canada. Um, and I just think it's, it's incredible that, you know, one woman is able to take something that happened to her at her small area in California and make it impact the whole country. I mean, it, it really does ring true that her daughter's name will never be forgotten. Yeah. Even though this awful tragedy happened. Yeah. Um, what a legacy to leave. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.